Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. I am happy today to have as a guest Mike Resch. You might remember, loyal listeners from episode 33 might remember, uh, that Mike was my guest uh, in 2019. Uh, Blair Burnson, a good friend from Washington, uh, referred him to me as a birder who had me, showed Blair around a couple of states in New England when he was birding there. And uh, Mike had just moved to North Carolina when I talked to him. He just retired and moved down uh, to get away from the snow uh, and uh, had a really nice time talking with Mike. And he is an avid state and province birder. Uh, birders of an area, state birders or county birders, they really have a feel uh, for the state or the county. But Mike is a state birder for every state in the U.S., every continental state, not counting Hawaii. And he has just achieved two of his lifelong milestones. He has found at his 200th bird in his 49th state, Montana, on a recent trip, and he has achieved 15,000 total ticks. Stay tuned. Mike will tell you what a tick is, if you don't know, uh, when you add up all of the birds he's seen in every state and province in the continental area. Uh, so that those are fabulous achievements. I just can't even imagine doing that. That's spectacular. But a birder who uh, tries to see as many birds in a state or an area as he can, or she can, uh, is really looking to find uh all of the common birds, maybe some rare birds, but all of the common birds. And to do that, you have to get to a lot of different areas in a lot of different seasons. So you really get to know a state. Well, imagine maybe you know your county or your state, but Mike knows all of the states, at least reasonably well, to have accomplished that goal. So it's really a cool accomplishment and just quite the quite the task. Uh, and I really had fun talking with Mike about that, his birding story, and other cool stuff today. So uh, help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast, number 134, exactly 100 episodes since I had him on last. Uh, help me welcome Mike Resch to the Bird Banner Podcast. Mike. Thanks for being on the podcast again. I talked to you last, uh, just after you'd moved to North Carolina and not long before the COVID pandemic hit. Uh, yeah, th thanks uh, for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be uh, back again. I uh, heard you just uh, reached some seriously gigantic goals that you had for state birding, state and, state and province birding. Catch people up on what's happening. Uh, yeah, so um, state birding has been a big part of my hobby ever since I can remember when I first started birding many, many decades ago, I hate to say. Um, but um, I set a sort of lifetime goal uh, some time ago uh, to reach, um, first of all, at least 200 birds in, in each state uh, in the U.S., except Hawaii. That would be next to impossible to get to 200. And uh, anyway, I was on a trip this, uh, this past month to Montana and, and got to 200 in, in Montana. That was my 49th and last of the continental states. So that was uh, one, of, one of those goals. And, um, and then the other uh, was one I have to describe a little bit, uh, total ticks. Um, uh, think of a tick as like a tick mark, a check mark on a checklist or, or the like. And um, the uh, American Birding Association, ABA, came up with a total ticks uh, category, um, which is the sum of all your state lists and all your province lists. And um, anyway, also on that Montana trip, I, uh, I reached... 15,000 as, um, as a total tick during, during that trip. So again, that's a goal that I had set a long time ago, many years ago. So it was uh, exciting to 
to reach both milestones um, within a few days apart. That that is just mind blowing. Fifteen thousand uh, state and province ticks. Do you have any idea? Has anyone ever done that before? Yeah, there's a there's one or two other birders who have reached fifteen thousand. Wow. Um, so it's uh, there's but there's not too many, of course, that, it's, that it's are a small uh, list. Have have that kind of obsession that that I do. Yeah, it, it is uh, cool. And as we were talking before the podcast, you can think of this as listing, but it's also getting to know states. I mean, if, if I tell my friends, if you want to learn about an area, a county or a state, talk to a birder. They just know all the best places. And and not only best places for birding, but um, just good areas to, for, to, for hiking and habitat and, and, um, and, and good, you know, just real pretty parts of the uh, of the country that uh, many other birders or just tourists you don't typically get to. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, by birding all of the states and trying to accumulate a nice list of birds in each state, you have visited not just the the typical birding hotspots, you know, Cape May, Lower Rio Grande Valley, Southeast Arizona, you know, the famous, at least in the birding community, famous places that every birder wants to go to. I mean, you, you, have to have been to some really obscure places that are beautiful. Um, yeah, so you know, a, a few examples. So um, think of Las Vegas, for instance. A lot of people might not think of Las Vegas as a great birding spot, but you've got, of course, the desert there, but you've got uh, quite a number of wetlands, uh, some mountains, um, a migrant hotspot nearby. And um, so, you know, a place like that, you can, uh, in the right time, right conditions, you can get quite a list of birds um, despite the fact that you're in an area that might not look like a very good birding spot, but, um, but, but that's one I kind of use as an example that, uh, you know, you get hundred species in a day in the greater Las Vegas area. And one that's got cheap flights <laughs> and <laughs> cheap, hotels. <laughs> cheap hotels, cheap hotels and, uh, and, and dinner if, if you want to do it that way too. Exactly. Yeah. I joke about that. I told friends. Yeah. I, I just flew to Las Vegas and birded Utah. It was great. Right. Yeah. So uh, you just got back. Tell me a little bit about this trip to Montana and Idaho. I read about it on your blog and it sounds like a really nice trip and it sounds like you had a friend go with you, which makes it even better. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I uh, teamed up with um, a friend of mine from New Hampshire, David Donsker. He's a uh, He's gone with me on several of these trips, and uh, it's a trip I'd planned for uh, for several years. Um, unfortunately, COVID got in the way from uh, travel plans, but I finally got back on uh, plane flights again and, and um, out to uh, western Montana and the northern panhandle of Idaho. It's a part of the country I'd never been to before. I'd been to eastern parts of Montana, southern Idaho, but not the mountains in western Montana. So um, it, was, it was a great time. It was a whole bunch of birds that... Um, target birds, target rich environment, if you will, that uh, I'd, I'd never been to. So um, great time, beautiful country, of course, Glacier National Park was uh, spent about four days there, uh, but it was just, just a great time. Yeah, I saw you had spruce grouse where most of those at Glacier, I've only seen spruce grouse like maybe three times and I think twice was when I visited Glacier. Uh, so um, my spruce grouse was actually in um, the Panhandle of Idaho uh, we were just a couple miles from the, uh, the Canadian line in this beautiful boreal habitat, driving along this dirt road back through the forest. And um, up ahead, I looked like, is that, is that a, a, a stone on the side of the road? And I looked a little bit closer and it was a bird. And 
of course, it's pretty typical for spruce grouse. A lot of times they'll be right out in the open, very tame. And uh, this was a hen spruce grouse, and she had two very young chicks. They were no more than maybe three inches tall. So um, stood there and watched her for a while, and, and she could care less, but the little chicks got a little skittish and ran underneath mom and were hiding. So you could see, see their little legs sticking out under very mom. Very cool. But it was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I've only seen spruce grouse a few times. Grouse with chicks are super cool. You know, we, right. we often get uh, sp- uh, sooty grouse uh, with chicks uh, or rough grouse with chicks here in Washington. But yeah, I yeah, haven't seen spruce grouse with chicks. That's pretty cool. So tell me about some of the other uh, things you did on that trip. You uh, obviously met your, uh, your goals for 15,000 ticks and getting Montana uh, over your 200 birds list. Uh, what were some of the highlights of that trip uh, in terms of just places to go and things to see? Um, yeah, so um, so we hit, especially in the, the mountains uh, habitats uh, and, and some of the valleys uh, a little bit west of Glacier as well, heading towards Idaho, but um, some, some great boreal birding. We had uh, found a nest of three-toed woodpeckers uh, in, in uh, just outside Glacier, and, um, and then just uh, another 10 minutes down that same path, we had a black-backed woodpecker, so it was nice to have, have those two boreal woodpeckers back-to-back. Um, lots of boreal chickadees. Well, good numbers of boreal chickadees. That's a better word choice. And um, uh, great crowned rosy finches up in the, in the snow fields at, uh, around the, the Continental Divide. Unfortunately, I didn't find ptarmigans while they're looking for them, but uh, lots of great crowned rosy finches. And then um, we even spent a little time a little bit east of the mountains, um, a couple of the uh, wildlife management areas there, freeze out wildlife management area in Montana. And um, we ran into this huge flock of Franklin's gulls, I guessed 4,000 birds. We were there at sunrise and with the sun rising behind us and the early pink sunrise uh, shining on these, all these birds feeding on the mudflats. It was, it was trim- just a mm-hmm. tremendous experience. Do Franklin's gulls nest in, in big colonies? I, I, I'm assuming maybe it's not like California gulls, ringbill gulls sometimes nest in these huge colonies on an island or, or Franklin's like, I don't know their natural history. You know, I'm not, not sure. I, I, I think, I think they do, but I'm not sure, but they certainly do migrate in big flocks. I've seen them in good sized flocks, not as big as this one, but yeah, certainly seemed, on, seemed like it hundreds. was peak breeding season for when you were there. I think it was, was a little late for migration, wasn't it? Right, right. So I was there from oh, early, um, I should say, yeah. Sort, sort of mid-July for most of the trip and um, had to be late enough in the year for the road through Glacier National Park to be open. And in fact, our day there was the first day that they had opened the, the road. Uh, but unfortunately, that was a little late for the breeding season. And mm-hmm. uh, bird song was down. The birds are still there, but they're just not singing as much because they're not in the, in yeah. still breeding anymore. So, uh, so that made it a little bit more challenging to, to find some of the birds, but, mm-hmm. but it also was late enough. We started to get some migrant shorebirds uh, towards the end of the trip. So, uh, so balance the good, good and the bad. There. Yeah, nice. You know, for people who aren't so avid birders, shorebird migration is, is the weirdest thing. You know, shorebirds, they race up to hatch their chicks and lay their eggs and Fledge the young and the adults take off a day or two later. <laughs> the right. young are on their own to find their way south on their own. So, you know, you can see migrant adults and, you know, 
late June, early July. It's right. just crazy. They're already returning. Uh, right. So. And, that, and that's fall migration. Exactly. In the summer. Yeah. 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 Uh, isn't the joke that uh, uh, if you see a shorebird moving before the, uh, the 10th of June, it's definitely going north. And if you see it after the 25th of June, it's definitely going south. But in between, it could be going either way. Right. <laughs> Just, just look which way it flies when it, when it leaves, whatever you're yeah. looking at. It. Yeah, that must be that. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, uh, Mike, you've been uh, on the state uh, birding uh, quest, I guess, for, for quite a few years. How did you get into birding in the first place? What's your birding story? Uh, yeah, I, I started as, as a, uh, even before being a teenager. I, I can still remember I was uh, nine years old when my parents got me my first pair of binoculars. Um, they weren't a very good pair, of course, but they were still... It was exciting for me to see the first birds through binoculars. And um, I started uh, at that point, I was um, in, in Cub Scouts and Cub Scouts, they have merit badges, you probably remember. And, mm -hmm. and there was a merit badge to identify 10 birds. Um, and I, I did that very quickly. And, and, um, and that was, that was the trigger that got, got me started. I, uh, I grew up, um, with, with parents who liked the out, outdoors, they weren't birders though, but, um, but that still helped to nurture my interests and the like. And um, then when I got to college, I, uh, I started pounding around with several friends who were, who were really hardcore birders and that, that pushed me over that edge as well. <laughs> you know, so, um, so it's, it's been over 50 years now for, uh, for, for birding for me. So it's, it's been, uh, been an exciting ride. Good for you. And you're now living in North Carolina. Where in North Carolina do you live? Sounds like from your blog, it must be Western because I see you got to Tennessee without driving too far. Right, right. I'm, I'm in, the, in the Western North Carolina mountains. Um, so about um, an hour from Tennessee. Um, so um, I'm close to some of those other states, Virginia and Georgia, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. But I'm uh, really far from the uh, from the Outer Banks, the, the East Coast of North Carolina, mm -hmm. it's an eight or nine hour drive for me. Yeah. So for an East Coast state, a, the Carolinas are big states. It is a big state. That's right. So I haven't birded the the Outer Banks too often because it's such a such a long drive, such a long distance to get there. Sure. What is migration like? Uh, spring migration, particularly where you're at. Do you do you get a lot of uh, you know neotropics uh, flying through or? Yeah, we sure do. Both spring and fall migration is really outstanding here and. Um, so uh, I would imagine, you know, you have birds concentrated by the ridges and valleys and the formations up the Appalachians and the like. And um, I had been in New England for 25 years before I moved here. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, we got to know migration there really well, of course. But migration here is, is so much better, not only in diversity, but especially sheer numbers of birds. It's, it's, uh, it's really pretty remarkable. And, and some, some species here that are... Uh, reasonably common as migrants, like uh, Cape May Warbler, for instance, was uh, almost non-existent up in New England as a migrant. So it's, it's interesting, even though we're I'm still in the East with the, basically the same species mix, the um, different numbers and, and, and uh, different uh, areas where they're migrating through and, and that type of thing. So it's pretty exciting to, to learn a new area. Do you have a good hawk watch spot for, fall, for the fall near where you live? Um, yeah, there, there are a couple places. Um, and uh, so I've been, been to uh, one both in North Carolina along the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and another one an isolated spot in South Carolina. Um, so, um, but uh, not, not um, big hawk watch spots like say Hawk Mountain might be in Pennsylvania or Cape May or places like that. 
Mm -hmm. not a like thousands per day sort of site, but some pretty good places. Right. Right. For a West Coast birder like me, any any East Coast uh, hawk spot would be a, a big migration spot. You know, right. if we go right. to a place with, you know, twenty five hawks in a day, that's like, oh my goodness, what a great day! You know, one of the exciting times that I didn't quite realize or didn't quite imagine when I moved here is that uh, my yard has been uh, quite a magnet for uh, for birds. Um, so I have a small yard; it's it's less than an acre, 0.8 acres, uh, but I'm in a, on a nice side of an isolated mountain that's surrounded by apple orchards and uh, the apple orchards are pretty sterile. I think for, for birds that, you know, the uh, mm -hmm. farmers spray lots of herbicides and pesticides to make those apples look gorgeous and perfect and tasty and everything. And that kills the insects, which might attract birds. And, uh, and I think what happens in migration here is that the birds are migrating through and seeing all these pretty sterile apple trees and apple orchards. And they find my isolated mountain, and um, and they and they uh, concentrate here, and so I've had some amazing fallouts of, of migrants and the like, and and uh, just shy of 150 species in the yard, and uh, now they've been here uh, be three years. Wow! In, uh, in just another week from now, that's a pretty good yard list. Yeah, different right. kind of oasis. You know, people I talk, birders talk about an oasis. You know, Central Park is an oasis in a in a sea of concrete. You have an oasis in a in a sea of apple orchards. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Uh, the other thing I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about with you, uh, you know, a lister uh, for uh, uh, an area like a state or a county or the United States or the area ABA, you know, after a little bit is really looking for rare birds, uh, you know, and at least in, in for the first quite a bit of state listing like you do, certainly rare birds are great. But you're trying to accumulate the the common birds, so you probably have a, a really good perspective of what's common in different places, what's easy to find. Uh, that's right, and and uh, in many states uh, have certain parts of the state for uh, eastern birds, let's say, and other parts of the state for for uh, western birds, and, and finding those little corners and edges and and the like that um, that might have a unique group of birds for that state. They're not unusual and they're not rare you know, nationwide, but if you want to go to see, uh, pick one, a pileated woodpecker in Nevada, you have to go to Reno and there's a tiny little slice of the Sierras that just barely gets into, into Nevada. So you need to get to that one little tiny piece of habitat that where the bird is. Again, it's not unusual for that bird, but it might be unusual statewide. So uh, I've been to a lot of places like that where, um, Think of like the western edge of the panhandle of Oklahoma. That's pretty far west as, as Oklahoma goes. And uh, there's a group of 10 or 15 species that if you want to see them in Oklahoma, you have to get to that western one or two counties of, of the panhandle of Oklahoma to see them. So it's, um, part of it's uh, kind of the, the, the research and, the, uh, and, and, and the, the search effort rather than you know, the, the finding these birds. It's more the research. Exactly. Uh, and it sounds like you really uh, just enjoy that research. We're enjoying learning and figuring it out. You're, it's kind of a, like a, a giant, uh, you know, where's Waldo jigsaw puzzle sort of thing. Right, right. I sure do. And um, like on my last trip to Montana, and then we, I said, well, while I'm there, I may as well cover the panhandle of Idaho. And, uh, and I got 
pretty darn close to the eastern edge of Washington. And I thought, so why, why didn't I just keep going west and just cross over the line? But yeah, that's, that's for a future trip. Another yeah, time. You had mentioned uh, that you haven't birded eastern Washington and eastern uh, Oregon. I think when we chatted up by email before this trip, that was one of the things still left on your, you know, I'd like to do that sometime list. Uh, right. And, you know, those of us who live in states like Washington and Oregon that have a mountain range right down the middle, not only the politicians think there are two different states, but the birds do too, uh, you know. And if you want to find a Says Phoebe uh, in Washington, uh, you're going to look long and hard in Western Washington, but you're just falling all over them in the right season and, and lots of places in Eastern Washington. There are just lots of examples like that. So uh, you'll, you'll, uh, you've got pretty good lists in Washington and Oregon, but you'll, uh, you'll add significantly to them. If you come out here, I'd love to show you around. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to do that next year, next, uh, next May, probably in end of May, I think yeah. just starting the planning part. So uh, yeah. just, Put away and, all the papers from Montana, and now I'm starting in Washington, Oregon. End of May, even June. Yeah, it it's, would be really good. Yeah. Nice. It, it, end of good May, worker. you get more shorebirds, so that'd probably be better. Yeah. Okay. But you probably got the shorebirds if you went to Western Washington. So anyway, you have to see what you want. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's great time to come. Uh, yeah, and I, I haven't birded the eastern parts of I live in in Tacoma, so I have certainly birded a lot in eastern Washington, but it's you know it's a haul to get over there. So it's you know not something you do for an afternoon. You gotta make an effort to get over the mountains and spend some time over there. So always loving it. opportunities to excuses to get east. It's always good. Yeah. And uh, eastern Oregon, wow, some beautiful places there. Malheur uh and Blue Mountains are oh just beautiful, beautiful places. So you'll love that. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, so uh, I I know you spent a lot of time in New England. Uh, you lived in Massachusetts for you know a lot of years for work and and have uh, we talked? If people want to hear about it, can listen on the last podcast. You were on. Oh, uh, kind of a funny aside. I was getting ready for this today, and you were on my episode thirty three. You're my thirty third podcast guest, and now this is episode one hundred and thirty four. So I've had exactly a hundred episodes out since I talked to you last. I just thought that was you know, just a little trivia funny thing it was funny for me probably not for anyone else but i thought that's pretty cool uh anyway uh I, a fellow just found a doug hitchcock just found his 400 species in maine do you know doug hitchcock uh yeah i've, I've birded with him um, a few times i've kind of run into him if you will uh -huh. during uh, chasing after rarities and the like um a uh, great birder yeah young young guy um uh, and uh and yeah 400 that's an amazing total I've, I've birded there quite a bit not not as much as doug certainly but my list is in the 330s, I want to say, yeah. in Maine. So I, I, I was just boggled. I, I saw that. Uh, I, I can't remember on Facebook somewhere. Oh, Nick Lund, who's a guy I had on the podcast. I follow him on Twitter, I think, or something. And he just said a good friend of his, uh, Doug Hitchcock, just saw his 400 Maine bird. I'm like, holy crap. I mean, the main list can't be 440, maybe 430. And, you know, that's like a lot of one and dones 50 years ago sort of stuff. So that's that's right. spectacular. Impressive total. That's right. I, I grew up in Maine, so I kind of have a, a little close to my heart. Yeah. You know, although I haven't birded that much in Maine. I grew up there and didn't start birding until after I moved away, but it's a cool state too. Yeah. Very, very pretty state. 
Yeah. Uh, so besides a trip to Oregon and Washington, the east side, uh, what other uh, places are, you know, high on your, I, I just looked at your, on your last blog post, you put up this cool uh, graphic of all the states you've had uh, with the number of species you've seen in each state. And I looked at, uh, you know, Kentucky and West Virginia, they're, you know, they're pretty much in your backyard now as state birding goes. Uh, it looks like you've got some opportunity in those states. Right, I do. That's that's uh, it's on the west. Um, I'm kind of using, you kind of think through the uh, map of the U.S. Western North Carolina is um, close to several other states, mm -hmm. and including the southern end of West Virginia and, and eastern Kentucky. So um, that's that's um, hoping to get there someday and, and add a fill in a few gaps. Doing the same with places like Virginia, Tennessee, and Georgia. Sure. And. Uh, Alberta a lot in South Carolina as well because I'm actually just about a half an hour out of South Carolina so that's that's so, a real real close drive. So you don't just uh, choose uh, places to visit that are in the corners of state near other places you choose those places to live too. And that it's turned out that way that's right. Yeah. Well and when you're in New England any state is close to those other states because all the states are relatively tiny compared to uh, Maine's pretty good size, but all the rest are pretty, pretty small compared to some of the bigger states, right. area, yeah, area-wise. Exactly. Yeah, you mentioned those states. What other places are on your, you know, gosh, I really want to get there, either to add to your list or just because you haven't been there yet? Um, yeah, so there's um, there's not much left in the, in the lower 48. Uh, I've been to most parts of, uh, of most every state, uh, again, with the exception of Eastern Washington, Oregon, as we mentioned. But... Um, Canada, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan, those are the provinces that are sort of uh, you know, north of the, the Dakotas and, and Minnesota. And um, my, my list there are, are really small, less than 50 in each province. So, um, so there's some, uh, some low-hanging fruit there, needless to say. And, um, and, and I, I love the prairie habitats, um, so I, I would really look forward to birding both. That would be two different trips, I think, you know. Yeah, those are big, big land masses. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So, so that might be uh, 2024 for the one and 2025 for the other, or, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. All, all, uh, all goes well. Hang in there. Keep at it. Sounds like you're just having a blast. Uh, you also have, you're tired from your uh, day job, so to speak, or whatever, your pre, pre full-time birding job. Uh, time and uh, you started a, a a business. You kind of started a bird bird uh, guide and trip planning service. It looks like I saw on your uh, blogspot site. And uh, what a tough time to start that right at the beginning of COVID. How's that going? Right. Um, yeah. That's that's um, it's a, a fledgling uh, business, is maybe put it that way. And you know, I've got a few customers, uh, mostly going by uh, word of mouth, and. Um, it's, but it's, um, but you're right. During COVID, there, a lot of people didn't want to spend too much time together or, or traveling and that type of thing. So, um, but it's um, luckily, of course, that's not a. Uh, it's not like I have to live on that income, <laughs> you know, from that job. But it's it's nice to, uh, to get paid to do the kinds of things you want to do. You know? Yeah, and provide a great service. Uh, I, I don't I don't know of anyone. Maybe there's someone out there uh, planning trips. There are lots of people guiding trips. You know, you can pretty much wherever you want to go, you can find a local guide if you put a little effort in, even on bird pals or word of mouth or 
however you do it, it's the internet finds you things, Facebook and such. Uh, pretty relatively easy to find a local birding guide most places. But uh, somebody who kind of has a, a passion and specialty for doing the grunt work of planning a trip, it, it's not easy to plan a trip, especially if you're not in one of the places that happens to have a trail in one of the state birding guides. If you want a trip, say, I'm going to be in this, you know, I'm visiting my great uncle in such and such a place and want to get out birding around there. And I'm busy and don't have the time to spend the, the effort to learn, you know, where should I go birding around there? Plan me, you know, three mornings of birding or, you know, a, a three day trip out of, you know, Oshkosh, uh, you know, West Virginia, whatever. Uh, it sounds like uh, you would provide that service if somebody wanted it. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and how that all started was I, I realized I was doing a lot of planning for my own trips and uh, gotten to be pretty efficient in developing a process to find whether I wanted to bird an area. So certain sites for different types of species or maybe sp specific search for one or two very specific species. And I realized that um, um, I didn't think anyone else provided that service. So I thought that could, could be a nice niche for for. Um, for the more experienced birder who says, let's use an example, the, the Cassia crossbill, that's the, mm -hmm. the um, form of the red crossbill that was split out as its own species right. in southern, southern Idaho. And um, so a lot of birders are trying to go there, already have, you know, to add that to their, to their life list. But um, that's something that I, I could help birders do that if you want to find Cassia crossbill, then I can put a little bit of research together. And, and uh, of course, nothing's ever guaranteed, but hopefully pull up the right information that suggests these are the best one or two or three spots to go to see that given species that, that they might be looking for. Right. Um, and probably tell them some other cool places to how to fill up, you know, if you, Cassius is a species that, you know, if you go to the, I, I did a trip there, it was super cool, but it is remote and obscure. Uh, that's why there's a species there. It's not just hard for birds to get it out of. It's hard for people to get it out of too. Uh, but, uh, uh, but help put a pretty cool two or three or four or whatever day, uh, find some other stuff in the general area too. That's right. I, um, for um, a couple other clients I had, I've um, helped them birding, like you said, bird an area rather than bird for a given species and, and put together a plan. Okay, so given the kinds of birds they're looking for, the kinds of birding experience that, that they're hoping to get, uh, I can put it, put that plan together. So these are the top four or five or six places to go. And this is how to bird those sites and what to look for. And then uh, um, I kind of have myself on call. So if you get there and something's gone awry and you thought this was the entrance, but it's not, you know, just pick up the phone, give me an hour and, and hopefully I can uh, hopefully point you can in the right set direction. them right. Set them right. That's right. Very cool. I I sometimes uh, my friends joke that I can get lost in a parking lot. So, uh, you know, they, I I could probably use that sort of service now. <laughs> anyway, Mike, thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast again today. It's been really nice talking to you. Sounds like you have uh, uh, joined a rarefied air of people with uh, uh, fifteen thousand uh, state and province ticks. Have some. Uh, some places yet to visit, which is always important to have uh, goals yet. And uh, and just know this country like few other people uh, overall. Uh, sounds like, uh, you know, sounds like a, a fabulous uh, life's experience, a body of body of work, so to speak. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's, it's been, uh, been a fun, 
fun trip and I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah, very nice, Mike. Thanks so much. I, as always, I will put a blog post uh, up associated with this that uh, kind of uh, leads links to your site and other things like that uh, and how people can reach out and get a hold of you if they want to. Thanks again, Mike. You take care. Bye-bye. Okay, very good. Thanks again. Bye now. Well, that wraps up the Burb Banner Podcast, episode number 134 with Mike Resch. I really had a nice time talking to Mike. He is he is a nice guy. I mean, there are some people who are really good birders, but Mike is not just a really good birder. He is a nice guy, and I had such fun talking to him. I just would love uh, to get to a lot of places he's been to, and I'm hoping I'll get a chance to bird with him if he comes out to Oregon and Washington as he's talking about. That would be really fun. Uh, I want to comment on a couple of things that I talked about on the podcast that I didn't really have the answers to. One is how many birds have been seen in Maine? I mentioned that Doug Hitchcock just saw his 400th species in Maine. Uh, by a good margin, the, the top uh, species lister in the state of Maine. Uh, well, there have been 453 species seen in Maine, uh, more than I might have guessed, uh, but coastal areas uh, close in a relative sense to Europe uh, and uh, the Arctic, I'm sure get a lot of strange uh, strange European vagrants and, and uh, Arctic, Arctic breeders. So uh, cool there. Uh, I also uh, wanted to talk a little bit uh, about county birding. Uh, county birding is uh, uh, usually birders in county birding will either look for as many species as they can find in their home county or taken to more of an extreme, look for all the birders, excuse me, all the species of birds they can find in every county in their state. Uh, I've had uh, a guest on, uh, Matt Bartels, uh, who is an avid county birder in Washington. He has 200 species in every county in Washington, a huge accomplishment. Uh, only one other birder, Tom Mansfield, has done that in Washington. Uh, and uh, so you can listen to Matt Bartel's episode if you want. I'll put a link uh, in the blog post that goes along with this episode uh, so you can check out that uh, episode by Matt Bartels. Uh, I am really enjoying county birding, although not not at the uh, not at the level of intensity that Matt and Tom did, obviously. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have people you'd really like to have on as guests, casual birders, avid birders, birding photographers, travelers, authors, or just interesting people who do a lot of birding, please let me know who they are. Get a hold of me on the contact page on birdbanner.com. Uh, you can let me know who they are, and if you can give me an introduction, that's even better. But thanks for listening, and until next time, good birding. Good day.